This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. I'd like to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but it's one of those questions that may bring up some feelings. The, the simplicity of the question does not diminish how profound this question can make us feel. Just an honest question, me to you, nobody else is paying attention, just you and I are talking. Here's the question. Are you a trusting person? Do you trust people? We all have different personalities, and there are some people that find it very easy to trust, and we usually call them three years old. Because (laughs) the more you live life... And the more you get disappointed and the more you struggle with various things, the more challenging it is to trust because we've tried that. We've been there. And trusting, it cost me something. It cost me my feelings. It cost me pain. And sometimes we wrestle with trusting because the advice we're being given or something that we're being told feels counterintuitive to what we feel like we should be doing. I happen to um, love motorcycles. I don't have one anymore because Angie said no more. But the very first bike I bought was a Honda 1800 VTX. That thing weighed close to 1,000 pounds. And I'm, I'm 5'8 on a good day. So when I'm straddling that bike, I was on my tiptoes. And I'd never driven a motorcycle before um, sober. And so teenage years, teenage years, I didn't know Jesus and I was screwed up. But I'm learning to drive on this beast of a bike. And I, I sold it. I only had it like four months. And I thought, you know what, I need to go take the course. I want to be safe because I'd like to convince her that I can handle this and I can get another bike. And so the facilitator in that course, if you ride motorcycles, you know this. If you don't, you don't turn a motorcycle by taking those handlebars and just doing this. You don't do that. You push in the direction you want to turn, which feels counterintuitive to me. You push this way and the bike will turn this way. You push on the handlebar this way and it'll turn that way. And so I had to trust what the facilitator was saying to be able to learn how to effectively and safely drive a motorcycle. Ernest Hemingway said, quote, the best way to know if you can trust someone is to trust them, end quote. (laughs) That feels like quite a leap. So the best way to know I can trust somebody is I got to jump all the way to trusting them? Isn't there some intermediate, like, can't we gradually get into this a little bit? Do I have to go all the way to to laying my feelings out there, being vulnerable, saying, okay, I'm going to choose to trust you. That feels feels a little too risky and a little too dangerous. How do we trust? I, I think there is a step you can take before the big step. And that step is this. If you want to know if you can trust somebody, get to know the people that know them the best. And the people that know them the best will help you figure out whether or not you can actually trust them. That's one of the things I love about our God and His Word. A book full of hundreds of people that know God and say, you can trust Him. You you can bank on whatever He says. He's never been wrong. He's always had our best interest at heart. The, The people that know God tell us throughout the centuries, and even people that know God today, those of you in this room that know God, you know, hey, I I, I can trust him. I may not always like what takes place. I may not always like what he allows, but I can absolutely trust him. 
Simon Sinek said, quote, Trust is built on telling the truth, not telling people what they want to hear, end quote. It's another thing I love about God. Throughout the pages of Scripture, He tells us the truth. Not just what we want to hear, but the truth. It's when we go into the truth, sometimes in those very uncomfortable places, that God grows our faith the most. He's always going to tell us the truth. We're in a study in the book of Genesis. If you're a guest, man, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I don't know if you know this, but you, you picked the place to go today where the greatest people on earth hang out. The people around you are amazing. I happen to know them. They're, they're incredible, but I'm thrilled that you're here and today we're in Genesis chapter 15. We're going through the book of Genesis. And part of the reason we do that in the life of C3 is sometimes life goes wheels off. Sometimes life is difficult. And when that happens, it's not enough to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. And as we move into Genesis chapter 15, something unique happens. We've been talking about Abraham from Genesis 11 to Genesis 25. It's pretty much a focus on Abraham, the, the icon of our faith. He's been called the father of our faith. He's mentioned over 300 times in all the Bible. Abraham is the guy. But something happens in this chapter. You ask Abraham, can you trust God? And as we move into chapter 15, the word of God really begins to kind of lay out that this, this personal, intimate, connected relationship that Abraham has with God. It, it's an example of the kind of relationship you and I can have with God. And what's interesting is Abraham is going to have some questions for God. Have you ever had questions for God? I hear people all the time say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. And most of the time, i got to be honest, most of the time when I hear what they say, I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> You're going to be so blown away by what, I mean, there are things I think I'm going to ask God. No, I'm not. We're going to be so blown away by what we experience. But in this life, as we deal with circumstances, as we deal with issues we face, as we try to make decisions, as we wrestle with how to be a great person, a great husband, a great father, or, or wife and mom, we have some questions for God. It's just natural. And what's interesting to me in this chapter, it's the first time we see Abraham questioning God. That tells me that when you have questions for God, it doesn't have to diminish your faith in God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Remember, Abram and Abraham are the same guy. God's going to change his name. You'll hear me use Abraham probably most of the time, but it's the same guy. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. How easy. How easy is it for God to say, don't be afraid? Does it ever feel like God's sort of out of touch? Yeah, you can say that. You're up on a cloud. Somebody's playing harp music for you. You're having a blast. I don't think that's what it is. He's probably listening to Van Halen, but separate story. Anyway, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign. It's an acknowledgement that you're in charge, you're in control, you're over everything. What can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky. Count the stars, 
if indeed you can count them. There are too many to count. It's going to be an impossible task. You, you simply can't count them all. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited to him his righteousness. Now, something fascinating happens right here. Righteousness, what is that? It, it is a Bible term, but it literally means the way that God views us. God views us as righteous. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're considered righteous by God. But notice what's happening in this text. It's credited to him as righteousness. God calls him righteous not because he understands. God calls him righteous not because he has all his questions answered. God calls him righteous because he simply chooses to trust and he believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness he also said to him I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it we're watching this relationship with Abraham and God as it's unfolding and we're learning about God as we watch the relationship and what jumps from the pages from the text in this passage our God is a father and he parents his children some of you, your parents have little bitty kids, and there are days when you're thinking, I can't wait till they're 18. I can't wait. C can I just help you? You're never done parenting. You're never, my dad's 80 years old. He's coming this week for Thanksgiving. He's not done parenting me. I love my dad. My dad is my hero, my best friend. He, he's an incredible, incredible man. But God shows a picture here of a father who's parenting the, the history what we know about Abraham is that he has big faith. I mean, this is the guy, first time he meets God, first conversation with God, God says, leave and go to a place I'll show you. Just start going. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. You just start going. I'll show you as you go. And in that moment, first conversation with God, he just does it. I mean, this is a guy with big faith. He just obeys God and, and does what God says. And now, for the very first time, I mean, somehow that was easy, but now, that, now he has some questions for God. Please understand, Abraham's a guy with big faith. Please understand, your, your faith is no smaller when you have questions. Big faith, trusting God, can exist in the same space with God. I don't understand. Just because you have questions does not mean you don't have faith. And if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you know kids have Questions. They have a lot of questions. When they're little, are we there yet? How about now? Now? Are we there yet? Have we gotten there yet? How much longer? How much longer will this take? Th those questions are there. One question that your children will begin to ask as soon as they can talk, and they will never stop asking no matter how they get, it's this question. Why? Why? Need you to clean your room. Why? It's better if you handle your money like this. Why? I, I know you want that for Christmas, but no. Why? <laughs> Why? But, but listen. We start asking that question when we're little of our parents, but we spend a lifetime asking that question of God. Why? Because we, we want to understand and we don't understand and it's not making sense. And what this reminds me of is that God is our Father no matter how old you are. God is our Father no matter how old you are. And you will always have questions for Dad. Don't ever think of your faith as weak when your questions are loud. Questions don't necessarily mean that your faith is crumbling. Questions can mean that your faith is growing. 
It's how we learn in asking questions. And every good parent knows when your child is asking questions, sometimes it's a teaching moment. It's an opportunity to help them understand something or to, to expose them to a new life concept or a new lesson that they haven't learned before. It's, it's just part of it. And we have a loving father who promises to be there for us. We have access to him fully at any moment. And he encourages us to bring our questions because that's how we learn and that's how we grow. I've heard some people say, if I have faith in God, I shouldn't have questions for God. I would say, if you have faith in God, bring your questions to God. He, he welcomes them. He invites them. We have a loving Father who's not afraid of questions. In fact, He welcomes them like any loving, teaching parent would. It's, it's just who God is. And we're watching this relationship unfold between God, who's the father, and Abraham, who is the son. And he says, Dad, I don't understand. Have you ever been there? God, I don't understand. You're a big God. And, and I'm walking through this scenario, and I'm feeling pain. And everything I read in your word, and everything I've been taught about your word is that I can trust you, and you're a loving father, and you're a good father. And if you're all powerful, if you can speak the world into existence, and creation comes because of your words. If you can walk on water, Jesus, if you can turn water to wine, Jesus, if you can heal people, if you can bring people back from the dead, come on, God, I don't understand why you're not doing this one thing that would relieve so much pain in my life. watching and he's listening and he says father I've, I've got some i've got some questions you said i'd have a son and that would bring about a nation and you would bless the earth through this nation because jesus our savior would come through the nation and god you you gave me this promise but i've been waiting a long time has something changed H have i let you down is there some reason you're not going to do this for me anymore? Are, are, are we still doing this? Are you going to do what you promise? He's getting old. He's approaching 100 years old. And he's got a lot of questions. You, you said you'd give me kids. And by the way, if you do give me kids, you're waiting so long that I'm going to be in diapers while they are. Like, th this is taking too long. He's full of questions. This passage also reminds us that God is in control of our future, and God is in control of the future. God is in control of our future, and God is in control of the future. God knows the future. He controls the future, and He reveals what He wants us to know about the future. In fact, 25% of the Bible is prophecy. It's predicting what's going to happen in the future, and God's never been wrong about it. So, Abraham comes with these questions, and like any good, loving parent would do, God says, son, Let's go outside. See those stars? Start counting. It's going to be impossible to count them all, but start counting. That's going to be just like the number of your offspring. My plan is on track. Just because you don't see what I'm doing, don't assume I'm not doing anything. I see more and know more than you ever could. Just Trust me, I'm on it. This, this reveals something else about our God who invites us to call him Father right here. Just because you don't see what's happening, it doesn't mean nothing's happening. And God is patient with us even when we lose patience with him. 
He's patient with us. God, God has this audacious vision for Abraham. He, he told him, and Abraham is struggling with questions. God, did, did you remove the vision? Did you change the vision? And God is patient. The Bible word is long-suffering. God understands, this, this helped me, I just had this thought this week, God understands that we don't understand. He understands. He's not mad at us about it. He's not frustrated with our questions. Sometimes as parents, i got to be honest, sometimes as parents we get frustrated with the questions. We do, we do. Even the best parent, we do. But we're human, God is perfect. And so he's not upset with us. It's going to be, it's going to be 25 years from the time he tells Abraham you're going to have a kid until the kid shows up. 25 years. Abraham is questioning God. He doesn't understand what's happening, but he doesn't lose faith. 25 years. How long, how long do you wait for God's promises to be fulfilled in your life? If there's something you need from God and you ask Him a question and you feel like God's giving you, hey, here's your purpose, here's your career, hey, you're going to be, man, I'm waiting to meet somebody that can be my spouse or we're waiting, we're trying to have kids and it's not happened yet and we feel like God wants us to have kids and you're navigating all these things. How long do you, Abraham waited 25 years, me, 25 minutes. God's like, I need the microwave version, I need you to pop this thing, give me the answer, let's go. 25 years, and in all of the questioning and doubting and wondering, he doesn't lose his faith. He continues to trust, and God counts it to him as righteousness. Years ago, years ago, I used to travel and speak in churches, and this was old school. If you grew up in church, uh, this is what we used to do in church called revivals or crusades. You'd start on Sunday morning. You went Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Everybody came back. They're supposed to invite their friends. And I, I was preaching at Northside Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. And it was the last night, Wednesday night. And this lady in the church, she, she told me ahead of time, and, and the pastor, Pastor Keith, told me, man, every, every revival, that's what they called it, every revival this happens, her husband that she'd been praying for for 43 years would come on the last night of every meeting. He would come, according to his language, to try out the preacher. And basically what he would come and do is he would come and listen to the message, and then he would go home and rip the preacher apart and tell his wife, that's why I don't believe in God. That's why I don't. You see what he said right there, what he said right there? And she just kept praying. Wednesday night, the last night, old school church, at the end of the service, you invited people to come to the front if they wanted to give their life to Jesus. And that guy, first one, stepped out of his seat and walked down to the front of that church. Forty-three years. She didn't give up. Forty-three years. She, she kept praying, kept trusting. You know what he said to me? We got to talk after the service. He said, she's been so good to me. She didn't badger me. She wasn't a nag. I have put her through hell. I have mocked everything she believed. She just kept praying for me and kept inviting me. Forty-three years. I wonder if sometimes we miss the blessing God has for us because we get impatient and walk away. We think on our timetable when God sees the picture of all of eternity and has that in mind. How long have you been waiting on God? Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you've been asking God for, whatever it is you, 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 you feel like, and, and your motivations are good, like this is a good thing, God, if you would do this, it would help me, it would help other people, it would help people I love, and, and you've been waiting. Could it be 
that you haven't seen God answer yet because you just got tired of waiting. So you're not talking to the Father anymore. You're not asking your questions to the Father anymore. You just took your toys and went home. Let your questions come from your soul, but don't let your questions set the direction of your soul. If you want to live the best life, the best life you can live on planet Earth, there, there are two things that you have to just solidify and nail down and resolve in your life. Two things that you have to decide to trust. One is God's will, the other is God's timing. I found that for me, maybe this is just me, but for me, it's usually easier to trust God's will than to trust His timing. His timing is a funny little thing. His will is clear. God, this is your purpose. This is what I believe you're saying to me. This is what your word says, but His timing. And one of our greatest struggles is believing we know the will of God, and because we get tired of waiting on His timing, we just try to make it happen instead. God says, Abraham, my will is to give you a son. My timing is 25 years. Why? Why 25 years? Have you ever wondered that? Why does God make people wait? If what he's going to do is good, you're going to be the father of a nation. And from this nation, the Savior is going to come. And the Savior is going to be a blessing to the entire world. And everybody that comes into a relationship with Jesus is going to know me in a personal way and be connected with the Father, have a home in heaven after this. Like, like these are all good things. Why, why are we waiting 25 years? Think with me. Often God has to prepare us for what he's prepared for us. There are some things you think you're ready for that you're not ready for. There are some things you want now that you would mess up now. It's the story. Like, I have a Ph.D. in this. I have a unique ability to not wait on the timing of God, run ahead of it, and screw everything up. Think about it. What does it take to be a good father? If, if Genesis chapter 15 is kind of beginning to reveal if we can trust God and what kind of father he is, what does it take to be a good father? And if Abraham's going to be the father of a nation, God's people, what, what does it take to be a good father? To be a good father, you first have to learn to be a good son. You're not a good father until you learn to be a good son. Abraham needs to be fathered so he can learn what leading and loving looks like as a father. Now, you might be here and you might say, I'm screwed. I don't have a dad. I don't have anybody to learn from. I mean, if to be a good father, you have to first learn how to be a good son, then forget it. I don't have that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Who was Abraham's father? God. You have the exact same access to the exact same father and can learn everything you need to learn about being a good father. Do not view yourself as diminished in life if you don't have somebody that walks next to you on earth. It's better than that. You have somebody that walks inside you on earth and promises to be your father and will show you everything you need. You have access to the same father Abraham had. And so we learn to be a good son from that father. Rodney is my best friend. You're not missing out. You're not disadvantaged. You have the opportunity to learn from the greatest father of all, just like Abraham. But he's waiting. 25 years. What if the waiting isn't punishment? What if it's preparation? Abraham, it's going to take 25 years for you to learn how to be the kind of father you're going to need to be if you're going to be the father of a nation, not just a nation, but my nation. 
There's some things you've got to learn in this process. And when you don't know or don't understand what God is doing, if you allow impatience to drive you, you'll start skipping class. Don't take yourself out of the classroom of God's preparation because you're tired of waiting. Start asking God, what do I need to learn? What do I need to know? Where do I need to grow? Not only is God's will perfect, His timing is perfect. This passage, in fact, if you're in a season of waiting, if you're in a season where you're growing frustrated, if you've kind of become impatient and you're not sure that you can trust God anymore, this message today is God's whisper to you, you can trust me. Because listen, trust is never a feeling, it's always a decision. Trust is not a feeling. Aren't there people in your life that you trusted that you felt like you could and they revealed you couldn't? Trust is a decision. He has questions, but even in his questions, he trusts. The questions don't vanish. They're not diminished. They're still there. He's just making a deliberate decision. I'm going to trust God. I can't see it all. I don't know it all. I don't understand it all. I don't even like it, but I'm going to trust God. And notice back to verse 1. Verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Abram, I'm your shield, your very great reward. It literally in the language means I am your shield and your reward will be great. He's saying, hey, son, life's going to be pretty tough at moments, but it's going to be worth it. Life is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Relationships, healthy relationships are hard, but it's going to be worth it. Great marriages do not accidentally happen. It's hard, but it's going to be worth it. Effectively and consistently parenting your kids, it's, it's hard, but it's going to be worth it. Building friendships with people, it's going to be hard because not a single person is perfect, and neither are you and neither am I, but it's going to be worth it. It's hard, but it's going to be worth it. But, but no, did you notice the language? I am your shield. When do you need a shield? When you're in battle. I don't need a shield kicked back in the recliner at home. I need a shield when I'm in battle. You only need a shield if you're being attacked. Remember Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble? He's honest. You can trust him because he tells us the truth, not just things we want to hear. You're going to have trouble. Life's going to be difficult. You're going to be attacked. If you're trying to live the purpose for which God created you, if you're chasing the will of God in your life and you're trying to live that, you have an enemy who's going to attack you. you there will be opposition. He doesn't want you to live the life God created you to live. He doesn't want your family to live the life God created you to live. He does not want you to be on mission, living a life not of success. That's too shallow. A life of significance. He doesn't want you doing that. Please don't think that living your life for Jesus makes life easy or simple. It does not. Living your life for Jesus, it's harder. It's more challenging. Because you have an enemy who's going to attack you. And so God says, hey, <laughs> you're going to need a shield. You're going to be attacked. Your family's going to be attacked. Your dreams, that thing God put in your heart that's His purpose for your life, that's going to be attacked. You're going to need a shield. But, but God says, I'm going to give you a shield, but I'm not just going to give you a shield. Notice, I am your shield. 
What it means is God is saying, as you walk into a future that is uncertain and will often feel unstable, I'm going to go before you, and where is a shield always placed? Between me and the enemy. God says, I'm going to be in between you and every enemy you face. Truly following Jesus will bring great opposition. Following Jesus and leading your family to follow Jesus will bring great opposition because we have an enemy. So God offers himself as a shield, and for a shield to work, it's got to be between me and the enemy. Uche, can you help me a second? I don't know if you all know Uche. He's one of my favorite people. Uche, what, what you don't know, not only can he sing or play keys or do a million other things, he was in the Nigerian Special Forces, a lieutenant, about to become a captain when he left that, and now he's a Ph.D. student at UCF. So he's brilliant as well. So... Let's just say that Uche is my shield, and he's a good shield. Like, he can kill you 12 days in 12 ways, and like, he's, he, he's a good one. I got a good one. As long as I'm staying behind my shield, I'm protected. It's when we grow impatient and we say, no, God, this is not fast enough, that we take shots we didn't have to take. It's when we grow impatient. And here's the thing about the shield. God says, I am your shield. I will be your shield. You know what that means? He sets the pace. I can't run ahead. The biggest mistakes I've made in my life have been growing impatient with God, thinking God's not handling it right or fast enough, and I need it now. I'm a now person. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm a now kind of person. But he says, hey, I, I, I've got a plan for your life, but you have to walk at the pace of your shield. You have to let God set the pace for your life. It is his timing. Abraham, I've got this plan. Look at the stars. Your descendants, they're going to be as numerous as the stars. And through your son will come my son, and he will be the Savior. But this is going to happen in my time. I'm going to set the pace. All you have to do is just walk. Keep the pace with me. Follow, learn, grow, move. Let there be momentum in your life. But stay behind the shield. Don't run to something you're not ready for. And do not run to something that's not ready for you. Follow the pace of the shield. Let me set the pace. God wants to set the pace in your life. He knows things you don't know. He sees the tomorrows you've never lived in yet. And he offers, I am your shield. What does that mean? I'll go before you. I'll be ahead of you. There's going to be trouble, but I'll step into it first. And I'm going to protect you. As long as you're following me, as long as you're trusting me, as long as you're keeping pace with me, you're going to be safe. Our God is a Father who controls the future. He fathers us. He teaches us. He comforts us. But, but there's something else you have to see in this verse. Just, just, just very quickly. Very quickly. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, we, we know. We know we're not supposed to be. We, we know that. But how do you do that? Like, is, is, is there some switch you just flip? Okay, I'm not afraid now. How, how do you pull this off? Over 350 times in the Bible, do not be afraid. It's the most common command in the entire Bible. I think it's because our God, our Father, understands that in the waiting, in the meantime, in the in-between moments, that's when fear and anxiety can invade in our lives and be the loudest in our lives. 
Over 350 times the Bible says it. The Bible says do not fear so often, maybe because we fear so often. Because there are things to be afraid of. But when you read, do not be afraid, how do you read it? Do not be afraid. 350 times, do not be afraid. How do you read it? Most of my life, I've read this as a command. Man up. You've got this. Push through. Chest out. Be strong. Don't back down. You've got this. Do not be afraid. Let's go. Do you, do you think of do not be afraid as a command? There's another way to read it. What if it's not a command? What if it's better than a command? What, what if it's an invitation from a loving father? The difference between a command and an invitation is the heart of the person it's coming from. Parents, your kids are little and they scream in the middle of the night because they've had a nightmare. Do you run in their room and say, don't be afraid. <laughs> Cut that out. No reason to be afraid. Stop it. You don't do that. Our God is a loving Father. He does what you do. Hey, hey, hey. It's okay. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. I've got this. I've got you. Just trust me. It's a soft, loving tone. A soft tone with the strength to pull off everything the tone is promising. See, in this text, God is revealing his heart as a father. Do not be afraid is better than a command to do your best. It, it, it's better than that. It's an invitation to trust the best because he's got it. Why are we afraid? Fear, more than anything else, reveals who and what you love. And when we see harm or trouble or danger, we perceive that in the future, it's coming toward who or what we love. Fear and anxiety grow. It, it creates fear and anxiety in our lives. This invitation, do not be afraid, is to stay behind the shield, which is Jesus, and walk behind me, and I'm going in front of you, and I'm going before you, and, and the who or the what that you love, that you see trouble coming for, guess what? I'm in front of you, which means I'm closer to them than you are, and by the way, I love them more than you do. I, I'm fully capable. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. It, it's okay. I'm here with you, and I'm capable for them. Fear is a huge mistake. I think there's more fear today than maybe any other time in history. Certainly more than any other time in my lifetime, there's more fear today. There's personal fear. Am I safe? Am I going to be okay? How do I afford life? Will my family be okay? What, what about my health? There's personal fear. We have community fear. What's happening with education? I read just this morning, the editorial in the New York Times talks about the most damaging thing that's ever happened to education in the United States is when kids couldn't go to school because of COVID. 
And we are only now beginning to begin to understand the impact it's had on mental health, the decline it's had caused on education. And, and so there's, a, there's this community fear, what's happening with education, what's happening, what the fat is happening with our economy? Somebody please help me. And where are the 28% of people saying, yep, more of this, that's awesome. That, that's just personal, never mind. The housing market. Man, community fear, the housing market. If you're a first-time homebuyer, you're trying to jump in the market, good luck. It's fear. Listen, the things we're afraid of, it's not that they're real, it's that they are. It's just that our God is bigger than what we see. But there's there's a community fear. There's a national fear. Where is this country headed? What the heck has happened? We see the national debt. Like, how, how much can you add to that before we crumble? Like, it's not just a number. It, me- it means something. The, the, the national issues, how, how can we survive with incompetent, ignorant leadership that seems out of touch with reality? And I'm not talking about a political party. I'm talking about politicians who make promises they don't keep. There's a global fear. Major escalations of wars. In the last few months, it, it hot spots of problems all around the globe. And how do we know all of that? Because we have access to so much information. It, it, it's almost instantaneous. I, I read this week that the amount of knowledge and access to information we have doubles every two years. That means today you have twice as much to worry about as you did two years ago. But let, let, me, let me just bless your lunch. That means in two years, you're going to have twice as much to worry about as you do today. <laughs> because we have access to all of this information. And, and, and what do we do when we're afraid? We find something out. What do we do? We research. You know what I've discovered about research? When you research what you're afraid of, you become more afraid. Because you're getting more and more info, and you're trying to control it all. But guess what? You can't control Jack. I can't control anything. And so we're in this constant, so much access to information. Our phones and our computers trigger more and more fear. And one of the biggest struggles, one of the biggest struggles is so much of the information is not even accurate. Like we're, we're afraid of crazy stuff that's not even real. Even social media, so much of it is, social media, so much of it is powered by fear and anger. Research shows that the more someone engages in social media, the more they engage, the more they become enraged. It upsets us. It makes you feel lonely and left out. It increases depression the more time you spend on it. You see everybody else is having fun, but you're not. You see everybody else's vacation, but you're home. You see what they can buy, but you can't. It increases our anger because we see what we think are stupid opinions, and they think our opinions are stupid. And no matter how much information you attain, you will never be able to create the outcome you desire. You're not in control because God is. You'll never create your future because you don't have the opportunity to create your future. You do have the opportunity to create the future or or to live the future God has created for you, which is even better. Fifty years ago, 50 years ago, People didn't have the technology we have. Fifty years ago, people did not have the comforts we have. But 50 years ago, people lived much less stressed than we are because they didn't have access to all this. Now, let me help you with something. Just because you have access doesn't mean you should take access. 
Some of you, you, you just need to stop. You just need to turn the freaking news off. There's some website. You just need to stop going to it. Like you reading about it and getting all worked up, you're not changing jack. No, nothing's going to happen with that. Hey, it was interesting back. Oh, let's just have some fun. Back during COVID, back during COVID, I saw this interview where they were interviewing this Amish guy, and they were talking about the Amish community, and the interviewer asked the question, how come COVID has not impacted the Amish community? And you know what he said? Because we don't have TVs. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> do you realize what fear made us do? We checked science at the door. We checked knowledge at the door. We checked wisdom at the door. And we lived in absolute terror and fear that we're going to die any second. You pull up at a red light and there's somebody next to you on a motorcycle wearing a mask and gloves. No helmet. If you're in the nice warm air in Florida riding a motorcycle, you have about as much chance of catching COVID on that bike as I do getting pregnant this week. The odds are about the same. But we let fear drive us to stupid. Why? Because all we heard about is you're going to die, you're going to die. In five minutes, you're going to die. You're about to die. I'm not saying COVID's not real, but listen, the flu is real, heart attacks are real, a lot of things are real. Doesn't mean it's going to take us all out. Come on. Use the brain God gave you. Live in freedom. Enjoy life. Don't live terrified of every little thing that's going to happen, thinking, oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, and most of what we worry about, like, I, I think, I think, I could be wrong, I think we all made it through COVID. I think everybody in this room is alive. <laughs> and a lot of you are vaccinated, and a lot of you are not. And some, some, somehow, under God, in spite of what our government told us, both parties, we made it. And yet, my man on the motorcycle, you know why he's wearing the mask and gloves? Because he's taking in all the information about what he thinks is going to kill him. If he'd heard as much information about what happens to your head if you wreck a motorcycle, my man would have worn the helmet. It's the information we take in that drives the decisions we make and enhances the fear in our lives and causes us to get stupid. We, we have gone stupid on crack the last three years. Like we've lost our freaking minds. And, and, and we, don't even, we don't even care. That felt good. <laughs> but what, what does fear do? Fear elevates our blood pressure. It elevates your heart rate. It elevates cortisol, which makes it impossible to lose weight. It ele elevates our adrenaline. It creates insomnia. It depletes our energy. Much of the mental health crisis we have is, is because we take fear in like oxygen. We breathe fear in every thought. Every breath is something else to be afraid of. And that is not sustainable. And that is not a path to living the life you were created to live. We're taking in more information at a record pace, and much of it isn't even true. We're trying to control a future that only God can control, which creates a panic and a helpless feeling in our lives. And so as a result, we're treating other people worse than we ever have because we're always irritated, annoyed, and anxious. Because of fear. We look into the future full of fear, and much of what we're terrified of never happens. R remember, remember Y2K? We made it. Do you realize what fear does to us? You spend your days telling yourself all the bad things that are coming and all the bad things are going to happen. Are you the biggest false prophet in your life? 
You decide what information you're going to take in. You decide what information you're going to hold on to. The opinions of others, the opinions of the news or the media, the opinions on social media, or the opinions of God. What do you think about more? The Bible says we're not created to live in a spirit of fear. Because when you live in a spirit of fear instead of a spirit of faith, when we live in a spirit of fear, you cannot live in the spirit of God. So do you spend more time thinking about what freaks you out or what builds your faith? You get to decide. You can jump on the crazy train and ride it every day of the week. You get to decide. Or like Abraham, you can say, hey, I've got questions. There's a lot I don't understand. Some stuff I don't like. I'm not happy about this. But God, I trust you. I trust you. Often other people's fears, they seem silly to us. Can I just tell you? Your fear seems silly to them. Because we, we fear different things based on our background, based on how we were raised, based on how we think or what our culture has taught us. And so we fear things related to our finances or health or parenting or relationships or security or, or control. But to each of those areas, you can bring and grow your fear or you can bring and grow your faith. You get to decide. And faith, faith is God's beautiful, beautiful gift. Because everything we're afraid of is bigger than us. But our God is bigger than everything we're afraid of. Do you factor God into the equation of your fear? Emotional health, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, health in life does not come as a result of the absence of trouble. It comes as a result of the presence of God in your life. It's who God is. He says, listen, Abraham, son, life is going to be hard sometime, really hard, breathtakingly, soul-crushingly hard. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to protect you. You just need to trust me. It, it's the picture of the love of a father. God loves you. Do you, do you love God? Edith Hamilton said, quote, love cannot live where there is no trust, end quote. To love God is to trust God. Even in the questions, even with the doubt, even with the lack of understanding, to love God is to trust God. Because if there's no trust, there's no love. Hey, this week, you can find out about somebody's, whether or not they're trustworthy if you talk to people who know them. I've known God a long time. I, I'm not everything I need to be or who I want to be, but I'm certainly not who I was. And I can tell you that through all of my pain, through all of my screw-ups, through, through all the different unique ways I have on occasion tried to blow up my life, hey, listen, you can trust him. He's always been faithful, and you can trust him. And there's no better time to start than today. Even if you have doubts, even if you have questions, even if you're in pain, that is the best time. Because when you trust, it activates your faith. Would you pray with me?
Father, thank you so much for every single person in this room. God, I I don't know what everybody's walking through, but I know there are a lot of people in pain. And I know that there's something about the holidays that sort of brings that to the surface. Each year, some unique pains from the background of life. And God, there are a lot of things that we can be afraid of. But I pray that this week, those that are followers of Jesus, that we we would live in faith, not in fear. We would trust in spite of our questions or doubts. And we would be righteous, not because we understand or have all the answers, but just because we choose to trust you, because you are God, a God who invites us to call you Father, a loving Father, a perfect Father. And then, God, for the people in this room that don't know you, I pray your Spirit would draw them today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here. And you know that the greatest need of your life is to place your faith. That you could be connected with this loving Father we've talked about this morning. So that you could have a home in heaven after this life the Spirit of God living inside you in this life, to walk with you day by day, to have your sins forgiven. If you'd like to take that step and give your life to Jesus, hey, today's your day. I I can't think of a better time, and I can't think of one good enough reason not to. It changes everything. So I want to invite you, if that's you, to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says Jesus knows even our thoughts. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus today and step into this kind of faith, where God does the supernatural in a personal and connected way in your life, just pray this prayer. Just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I give you my life. And Father, I pray that this prayer is not just in this moment but I want it to create a momentum in my life of following you. You are my shield. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311, and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.